This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, editor Valerie here. This week, we have a really special chat with the paraglider Galen Kirkpatrick. She's such a delight, and the conversation is honestly really moving. I hope you like listening to this episode as much as I did. Enjoy. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, my name is Galen, and I'm a paraglider pilot, um, the current U.S. national champion of paragliding, um, and I'm a comedian, sort of a clown of sorts, and I don't know, I've just done a lot of different things. What? What? Okay. Okay. What? I guess I guess what is my main question, but I certainly looked up like some photos of you and some like footage um in anticipation of this interview because I like if like if you said paragliding, I do like I have heard of that. It's not like I don't know that exists, but I wouldn't have been I've I have no idea what you're talking about in terms of being a pilot, in terms of um being a national champion. I don't really understand what the competition circuit looks like. I don't really know how somebody would get into this. So that's my series of questions. What? How? Tell me more. Sure. Um, Well, so paragliding is often misconceived or like people don't really know. So this is super common. Um, But basically, it's a form of free flight. So you're flying a glider. um, off a mountain usually, or sometimes off of a ridge. And then you're using uh, like convective lift or just the power of the earth to stay in the sky. Wait, I, wait, I already have questions. Yeah. What is like, what makes up the glider? What are you in? What is your body in? Well, so your body is in a harness, kind of like a climbing harness, but generally a little more substantial. And then you're hooked into these long lines And then above you, about, you know, six or eight meters is this fabric, nylon ripstop fabric wing. Um, That kind of looks like a kite almost. Yeah, it kind of looks like a kite and you can fold it up. So it's it's most commonly misconstrued with uh, hang gliding, which is like a sort of a triangle shaped wing that you hang underneath. Okay, got it, got it, got it. But paragliding is not that. It is, wait, because it, so it's more, so it's like more freeform. The, uh, the, the wings <laughs> are less structured. Is that what you're saying? Totally. Well, it's a huge thing. So we can carry our wings and backpacks. So um, oh. you can hike to wow. the top of a mountain with it. It weighs 10 or 15 pounds versus, what? yeah, versus like a, a hang glider, which is a bunch of metal and. Um, oh my God. Wait. I have additional questions. Yeah, of course. When you said that you are in a harness that is like a climbing harness, 
that, first of all, <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. <laughs> Don't jump off of a mountain in a, where is it attached? Is it like, just like, like the underwear type of uh, harness? Where are you, t- where are you attached? Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of like attached in the torso and the legs. And then generally you also have shoulder straps. So it's actually really comfy. It's, it's kind of like a recliner in the sky. Um, and it generally has some like protection built in some air protection in case you have a hard landing or, um, but yeah. Air protection. Wait, do you wear goggles? Definitely wear goggles. Um, for the sake of the imagination of your listeners, we'll say I'm wearing those like round uh, ancient aviator goggles because um, <laughs> that sounds the most fun. And do you wear a helmet? Yes, I do wear a helmet. But like if you fall off of a mountain, is the helmet specifically helpful? <laughs> Well, I was going to keep this from getting too dark, but no, the helmet's probably not so necessary. But, okay. Um, well, we, we wear them for uh, for imagery, you know, and to protect. Yeah, our, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this a thing Tom Cruise has done in a Mission Impossible movie? It seems like yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Especially because of the backpack part. Sure. Yeah, I think I think he probably has. Um, yeah. I, I actually, yeah. I think I heard a discussion about this last week, so. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. How did you, how did you, how did you start doing this? Um, I had a book growing up that like had a picture of a paraglider in it. Um, and so I always, it's always just like, was an image that I had. And, wow. I, and I just love the idea of the sky. So it's sort of like a lifelong dream that I've wanted to do it, but I didn't make it happen until my late 20s. Oh my gosh. I love that. You know, um, that little kid stuff can really affect, uh, I don't know, like how we feel about, I don't know. There's something that sticks with me. It's um, (laughs) my, I don't know. Did you ever read the book, Sarah Plain and Tall? Do you know this book? It was a popular book. I don't. Um, anyway, what happens is that somebody's parent dies uh, and that person didn't say goodnight to their parent before they died. And um, unlike fulfilling a lifelong dream of paragliding, now I have a lifelong fear of people dying without me saying goodnight to them. So it's, you know, there, it doesn't matter. I mean, for good or for bad, stuff gets cemented in pretty easily. I'm I'm happy yours is led to such positive outcomes. Did I shock you? You don't want to talk about parental death so early in the chat. I mean, are, I bet you're really good at saying goodnight to people. I am. Yeah. I'm amazing. I'm like actually a national champion of saying goodnight <laughs> to people. Oh my gosh. I didn't know there was a competition for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I can be competitive about anything, so mm-hmm. that's that's part of it. So when you started doing this in your 20s, what sort of athletic background did you have? Um, I had some, like, team sports background and some, like, sort of mountain background, but it's actually one of the least athletic activities you can imagine. It's, uh, you just sit there and, and you kind of just pull on a, a, a right string and your right hand for the, to turn right, 
and a left break and your left hand to turn left. So it's actually great. It, the heavier you are, the better you fly. So the joke wow. is the paragliding diet is sort of like cheeseburgers and uh, more cheeseburgers. Wow. So the skill is in the operating, the steering, the like riding air part of it? Yeah, I think riding air is, yeah, a good way to put it. It's, um, yeah, you're sort of like doing this predictive analysis of where there's going to be rising air and and then just trying to stay in the sky. So it serves people with improv backgrounds. And I actually think my background in improv really helps because you kind of oh, that's so interesting. get this toolkit and and then you go out and you have to like use it on a stage or use it in the sky. Wow. So the goal in terms of competition, what are, is it, are you competing for like, again, I'm probably, I'm sure these are all the wrong words. Are you competing for like airtime? Is that what you're competing? Who can stay up there? <laughs> so there's a couple of different disciplines, but the, the one I do is it's like called race to goal paragliding. And they give a group of about 100 or 150 of us pilots a set of turn points, and, um, which are like little GPS waypoints. And so we have to go tag all of the turn points as fast as possible and then land somewhere where everyone else is landing. And um, so you're like working together with 100 other people to like cross a mountain range or to fly what we call like a task. And you know what those points are because like you have, because they're, you have a GPS on you and there's, and there's like programmed points in there and you are in the sky identifying those. Yeah, exactly. Everyone gets the same sort of, we have a couple flight instruments or flight computers. And so, and they're just sort of like sitting on your lap. And so you know you're going to fly like 15 miles west and then tag a turn point and then go another 15 miles like east. And they set the task every day based on the weather. So they're trying to figure out, you know, by doing a whole lot of meteorology, what's going to be possible, like which mountain to, to fly to and how to deal with the winds that day and um, yeah, it's thrilling. You're basically problem solving. I don't, have you ever done climbing or have you done any sort of... Well, this is making me think of um, two things. Uh, I've done some open ocean swimming. And one thing that's true in open ocean swimming is that there are like, they're like buoys, but they're really, they're like inflatable. They're like really visible so that people can see them as they're, so that you don't like lose sight of it. It's not like a small buoy. Um but we're like a giant group of people in a race, a giant group of people are like going out making turns in the middle of the ocean because there, there's a course that is set by these buoys. And it is kind of wild to like, I don't know, when I've done that competing, it's just, yeah, being with a group of people that are all swimming. I mean, the, the waves are not, it's not, you can't like plan ahead how you're going to get there because the waves are unpredictable. And if it seems like a straight line, it's not going to be straight swimming that gets you to that straight line because um, there's also going to be undertow and currents and all that stuff on your way. There's also going to be people swimming next to you, which like affect, um, you know, whether waves are like broken 
like what, like whether you're the person taking the um, force. Um, so that's been an interesting endeavor. I have found it to be almost impossible. Like I'm a swimmer growing up, but I swim in pools and to transition into open ocean. I have like so much respect for people who do that because it is so hard because of this thing, which is like actually very discouraging sometimes where you're, where the, where like the, the goal isn't right in front of you. Um, you know, as the sea kind of takes you different directions. And I also understand what you're saying about the like improv part of it, because, um, I did some surfing recently. It was my first time surfing. And, uh, again, I think because I'm comfortable in the water, water, I was like able to immediately get up, but also, um, I like just fling myself into space. That's why I chose stand up comedy. And so not only was I get able to get up, but like able to fall, able to, able to like kind of ride the waves a little bit. I was with a friend of mine who has been trying to learn how to surf for years. <laughs> and she was like, what the fuck? As she like boogie boards past me. Um, but you know, I understand skills being applicable in surprising ways. And, um, I understand a little bit about what you're talking about, about the like steering and the, um, actively adapting to where one is headed. How about everything I just said? Does that sound, is that relatable to you? Totally. It it makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, open ocean swimming or paragliding, you're basically taking this. I mean, I know that's, it's really difficult like to swim or, or maybe to like be a pilot, but you're going to do this kind of simple thing in a unforgiving environment, like in the ocean or in the sky. So you have to be prepared to, yeah, deal with currents and other things happening. And um, yeah, yeah, totally. Do you ever see birds up there? (laughs) Well, so that's what I was going to say. I mean, imagine you're on an open ocean swimming course and, and you're like, so that's the thing is we're in three dimensions. So we don't have engines. And whenever we're, flying through the air, we have a glide ratio of about one to nine. So if I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Well, it means like if you're a thousand feet above the ground, you could um, glide in perfectly still air, you could glide for 9,000 feet. So if you're a thousand feet up, you could almost go two miles just, just like without doing anything. So what you're trying to do is stay in the air. You have to stay in the air. So you have to go find these areas where there's rising air. And birds are like the best because birds are really good at finding mm-hmm. rising air. Um, so we'll, we'll, we're constantly looking for So you look for, for the birds? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. What the fuck? Do you have any interest in aviation or like anything else that is about staying in the sky or is it specifically this thing um no i've always been kind of in love with the sky i feel like it kind of relates to my queer identity as well like i guess i feel like looking up at the sky imagining flying whether it's in a plane or imagining being a bird it's just like sort of none of the rules of the ground apply up there. It's it's mm. just a sort of a magical place. Um, yeah. But I was always in love. Like, I kind of wanted to be a pilot, but also I'm really into self-expression. And in, like, general aviation or 
flying an airplane, there's not a whole lot of room for personal expression. You're following like a really strict set of rules. You're in an expensive airplane who is owned by someone else. You could kill other people if you do something wrong. So I never quite got into that because it just always felt too far maybe from, from my heart. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I actually like, I totally, I totally vibe that. That's how I feel about water. I find water to be like super forgiving and very, um, I'm not lap swimming right now because it was, it was messing up my eyes and I had to be on television. Like it was giving me like giant circles and we can't do it. Um, but, uh, I love, I love, I love being underwater. I think that's like such a cool experience. And I grew up um, in water. So like, yeah, like I said, I'm very comfortable there. And it does feel, you know, obviously it literally is buoyant, but it feels that way too. And like protective, you know, womb-like, I guess maybe in some ways. Sure. Yeah. And, um, I also, I am very into, yeah, physical expression. Like I'm super into yoga and running and places where I just forget or like I'm into my body as opposed to feeling like I'm working against my body or some of the things that I sometimes feel when I'm like, say, putting on fancy clothes to go to an event, you know? Um, yeah, so I catch your your vibe of like unusual modes of freedom that's very rad well that's it's super freeing to just be in an environment where you know that there's like some things you can do and some things you can't do and and i i think i imagine you swimming or kind of accessing a sort of a flow state um where it just gets to everything else kind of disappears and and um and that's what we're doing in in paragliding mostly too um I mean, I want to want to disclaimer and say that I think people have this idea that it's um, some crazy adrenaline sport or that Tom Cruise is doing it in Mission Impossible. And well, that has nothing to do with anything. You know, he can do anything in Mission Impossible. That is that's that's, that's God love him. Yeah, yeah. Um, God God does love Tom Cruise a lot, actually. I well, I mean, Tom Cruise thinks so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my God, my God, the God that exists for me loves Tom Cruise also. So, <laughs> Oh, God, that's so funny. But but I do have to say I'm not an adrenaline junkie. It's like it's actually it seems like jumping off a mountain is so scary. But at no point am I ever like saving my own life. It's it's kind of easier. Than... I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Like, I, have you been in a crisis situation? Um, I was, I was in a bit of a crisis situation once, um, you know, um, since we can't see the air and we're constantly trying to go up or find rising air, we're looking for birds and we're looking for other pilots. So we all fly in this sort of like big, uh, conglomeration or gaggle of pilots, which means we're kind of close to each other sometimes. And, I was um, I was hit by another pilot at one point. Jesus Christ! Okay. Um, yeah, I I published a video on my Instagram like a year after it happened because I was it was too raw like for the first while it was just 
it was like an experience that I had lived or a sort of a mini trauma that I had lived. But, um, but yeah, I got hit by another pilot. We got kind of tangled up and we both threw our reserve parachutes. So if something goes wrong, we have a couple, usually a couple reserve parachutes that kind of will help us get to the ground safely. And, um, so we both threw our reserves and we, um, you know, fell to the ground safely in this windy field in Turkey. And, um, and we were both fine. Did you see this person coming? No, he kind of uh, he kind of came from above um, and just sort of like swung into me. So oh my gosh, yeah, okay. Well, the stuff of nightmares. It was not, yeah, it was not ideal. I definitely had had a little bit of a fear injury, um, and I was kind of spooked out about being close to other pilots for a while after that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That sounds like a reasonable reaction. (laughs) Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! How, how accessible, I guess, like, where do you live? How accessible is this? Um, okay, a couple questions. Number one, paid? Do you get paid? How does one make a living? Or are you, what is the money structure for this? Well, it's mostly, it just costs. Um, and we it, love it. Yeah. We love something that just costs. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. You can get rich in paragliding if you started very, very rich. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, there's, um, that being said, I, I was living in downtown LA when I started flying. Um, I learned in Santa Barbara. Um, and I kind of, I don't know, I was at a funny spot in my life, but I kind of, um, quit my job in LA and I started working jobs in paragliding. So I've been able to fund my career in paragliding mostly by teaching and, um, working jobs, sewing, like fixing paragliders and, um, doing sort of menial maintenance work. It's funny because like, you, you know, you said you have a background in improv and there, for a lot of people that in, in Los Angeles, there are some people who start in improv and then they like become actors on TV. Like that's a thing here. But I started doing improv in Boston and then in Chicago and in Boston, Chicago, there's not necessarily a pipeline to the industry and people that do improv, which costs money at the beginning because you're taking classes most of them, what they ended up doing to to like make that into a full-time job is they're running a theater or they're teaching classes 
or, you know, they are performing and they're getting some of their income from that, but they're not getting like all their income from that. So it's just like, it's funny to me what you're describing, because that is also, in my experience, that is like an improviser path to uh, financial, you know, stability. It's like people don't necessarily get to the point. They're like the best improviser in Chicago, but they're not necessarily making most of their living even doing live performance. It's like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Totally. Almost all. I mean, like for competition, I think I won money in one or two competitions in other countries because, but there's, there's really no money. There's really no money in it. It's, <laughs> it's very difficult. Do you want to hear how accessible it is? You're going to be yeah, excited. Because that's, because that's, because I was like, okay, so then how did you make it work? That was going to be my next question. Well, yeah. um, tell me, I'm non-conventional. That's how I made it work. But, um, okay. but I taught in Santa Barbara for a while. Um, the school I learned at hired me and brought me on. And let me tell you, Cameron, it is easier to fly a paraglider than to ride a bicycle. Um, so people would come, they'd show up at nine o'clock in the morning talk to him and have him do some sort of run stuff attached to the paraglider on flat ground. And then we'd have him flying by, you know, like 10 or 10.30 by themselves on a radio down this short little training hill. So maybe two or 300 feet. So you could go do that like tomorrow if you wanted. And, and it's like we had kids doing it and grandparents doing it. And um, it was kind of, it was kind of a wild experience to before I was a really good pilot to like know how to share this pretty simple thing with people. But um, but everyone should go try it. It's magical. Can you take can you take passengers? Is um, that a thing? I can take passengers. Yeah. Do you want to go? Yeah. OK. Yeah. 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 I do. Yeah. When are you going to be in L.A.? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Probably yeah. over the summer. They do it in uh, San Bernardino quite a bit, uh, like above oh, Crestline still, and Lake Arrowhead. And Oh, you still live right, you know, kind of right near there. So fine. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Okay. I mean, I'm, you're no in Mexico right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I know nobody's forcing me. Yeah. I just, that's, that sounds great. Okay, great. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Pro- problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't want to, learn myself, but, um, I don't know, like, it sounds really, it's, I mean, what a, what if I got to go with like a actual, you know, experienced genius? Doesn't that sound fun? Oh my gosh. No one has ever called me an experienced genius before. I'm I'm so flattered. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds really fun. So I'll choose that one. Okay. If I, if I, not everybody has that choice. Um, but I'll choose that one. Wow. Okay. So you said you're in Mexico right now. What are you doing in Mexico? Um, I'm currently in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, we have, well, there's a competition here in Valle de Bravo, which is just like 60 miles west of Mexico city. Um, famous for being one of the sort of nesting areas of the monarch butterflies. Um, but there's a competition down here early January every year, and it's really popular with U.S. pilots. So it's kind of a, an annual project. Um, we all come down here and fly for a week. How many people do this in the U.S. and then like globally, if you had to like ballpark it? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, not enough. That's why I'm trying to, you know, evangelize paragliding. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 here we go. No, no, Everybody? no. No, yeah. it's, I've taught plenty of people how to fly that shouldn't be flying, you know, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I think maybe in the U.S. there's maybe four or five, 6,000 people, maybe. Um, you know, since we rely on weather conditions, it's super specific to areas that have agreeable weather. So it's difficult for people in places that are super cold half the year or, um, or yeah, flat. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask that. Like, can you do this off of a snowy, chilly mountain? Or are we looking for like a warm, green mountain? <laughs> um, you can do it off of a snowy, chilly mountain, but you're <laughs> less likely to be able to like stay in the air for a long time. Um, because warm air rises because there's I don't know anything I don't know what I'm talking about <laughs> listen to me I don't know <laughs> yeah I'm guessing I don't know you're you're doing pretty good I think why is that why is why is a warm mountain better well it's it's more like a general set of weather conditions that allows like you want convective lift so you want the ground to be really hot and you want oh. the air above to like be much colder. So it's like oh. the the spot I'm at Mexico here and where I'll be next in Colombia. It's more equatorial. And so it's really hot on the ground and it's super consistent. And just every day the air heats up so much on the ground that it, it just like releases these big bubbles of air. So it could be a snowy mountain or a green mountain. You know, you could find the mountain that like fulfills your perfect dream. And right. um and then you just need the right set of weather conditions for that to Got be it. soarable. You need a um, hot ground and a cold sky. Cold, hot ground, cold sky. Yeah, we call it. It's almost because it's almost like I was right. I feel like I was vaguely right. Yeah. Now was I exactly right? No, but I think I was vaguely right. Yeah, I feel really proud. Can yeah. I <laughs> can I just nerd out for a moment and say yeah, that do you know like what do you picture when you think of a cloud? You think of this oh like my God. this like flat bottom, puffy top. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Cumulus well, I don't cloud. know what its bottom looks like. What does a cloud's bottom look like? Uh, Usually, yeah, yeah, pretty cute. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Pretty. Intense. I don't know. For I, you know, my immediate. Well, no. Why? What were you gonna say? Are you you're above the clouds? You're zip. You're above the clouds. No. Well, no. You're never above the clouds. Well, rarely above the clouds. Generally, that's like illegal. But what I wanted to say <laughs> is like when you look at a cloud, usually the bottom's sort of flat and the top has all these puffy billows. And what that is, is it's a like a bubble of warm air from the ground that's risen up to a certain area. And, and at the level or the altitude that the, the dew point is reached, the the water vapor in that warm air condenses and that creates a cloud. So when we're like flying, if I have to like fly 60 miles um, in, you know, off of a mountain range into the flats or somewhere, we're looking for clouds and we know that there's going to be lift underneath the clouds. So a cloud is like a little hat on um, like a, a block of rising air that we're like following. 
I wish anybody could see what my face looks like right now. Just like <laughs> an open mouth. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that people can't see me like doing my little hand motions. Trying no, the to hands make are this. cute. The hands are cute. Yeah. Cool. The hands are cute and helpful. Keep the hands. Okay. Um, yeah. It's illegal. You can't fly above the clouds. You can't like actually enter like air, like airspace, like aviation, like where planes are. You have to stay. Yeah. You have to stay out of the, out of airspace and entering the clouds is that then you're not doing VFR flight, like visual flight reference. Then you're doing instrument flight reference and we are not allowed to do that. Okay. So I never have done that. Got it. Okay. (laughs) I see. I see. I see. I see. What the hell? Okay. Uh, Okay, so you're not afraid of jumping off of a mountain. What are you afraid of? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm afraid of um, standing on a stage and not being funny. There's that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you you can relate. Um, Actually, I'm not really afraid of that, to be honest. Because I've had so many, I've had so much experience. (laughs) I mean, actually, my biggest fear regarding stand up is that nobody will be there. I even have that fear if it is sold out. It's just like a unending fear that nobody will be there. Three hundred people just decided they had something else that was more important. They didn't come. Nobody came. Mm -hmm. Nobody came. Nobody had fun. That it's more like that. That's, you know, everybody wasted their money, that kind of thing. Seriously. That's awful. (laughs) But I, I'm not really, I like, I have a lot of confidence in my ability to be funny and I don't mind if something doesn't work, but, um, don't worry. I have other fears. Well, you're one of them is jumping off a mountain. Well, you're an experienced professional. I mean, I, I spent a lot of my piloting career super, super scared, for sure. Um, so like, really? I, yeah. And I, I, most of what I work with, with like my, my guiding clients is dealing with fear in some sense or another. It's, it's, um, you know, like people can do it on the first day. Really, you just have a right break and a left break. It's learning all the other things and managing the performance of self like that is really difficult for people. So I, I've been dealing with fear much better the last year than I have in the past, but I, yeah, fear is. Wow. When you have, if you do have a passenger, where does that person go? Do they go like below above or do they go next to you? They go, how, how are you set up? Kind of like a motorcycle, like you would be in front of me and kind of like in between my legs, also facing forward. So we both kind of sit there and then my legs are kind of like, uh, would be like shoulder rests or like elbow rests for you. Oh my God. And have you done this? Um, Have you given people rides? Mm -hmm. Wow. What does that feel like? Um, well, the wings are different. Usually we fly fairly performant, um, fun wings. And, and when you fly tandem, you're on kind of like a large, much larger wing because it has to have two people and it's kind of boaty, but it's really fun. It's super fun sharing, um, that experience with people. I honestly, I kind of almost like, um, sending people off the training hill, like in Santa Barbara, um, for their first uh, like solo flight more because they um, 
they've kind of like made the decision to take some responsibility and yeah and and then the like smiles on their faces are just truly it's it's just like um very humbling that's cool and then you remember your own first smile and it's like yeah it's oh that's awesome (laughs) yeah i hear you i mean um this is not the same thing at all but um, I lived in Vancouver for a couple of years because I was working on a TV show and Vancouver has, they, ha- you know, it's a city. It's like a proper city. I grew up right, right south of the border there. So I'm well familiar. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like a proper city, but then they have seaplanes that land downtown and I became obsessed with them. Like I would go watch them land for like hours. Yeah. Um, and cause it's wild. Like, to watch a plane land on the ocean is wild. <laughs> like that's, it's so cool. And you could hear them a lot and they're like quite aesthetically pleasing. They're like quite cute. Um, they're and I got so to take, cute. They're so cute. And people are also using them. Um, they're like, I got to take a couple like tour rides, but people are also using them to commute, which is so fascinating to me. And people are using a lot of people are using like ferries. I mean, people are literally using like trains and planes and automobiles people are using ferries people are like it's like a i don't know a group of like richard scary busy town is like a a book and where there's just a bunch of different layers of like animals that are people that are trying to get to work and that's what it feels like um but those planes were so fascinating to me and going um for some flights was also really cool because i've been in small planes before but um, it's just like so beautiful, first of all, and the pilot is like reacting in real time to some like kind of like changing weather. I mean, Vancouver's like rainy. It's like not ideal conditions all the time. Um, so anyway, I, I, that was my experience of being obsessed with watching humans stay in the air against all odds and then land on the ocean against all odds. Like you shouldn't be able to do both of those things or either. Um, And it was also nice. I'm like a control freak. So it was really nice to have an experience of um, getting in a plane and like trusting that this person does this constantly every single day um, might be able to do it because that's also happening in like a large plane, but you can't see it. You can't feel it as much. And like, you're not looking out the window and seeing like giant tips and, um, cause you're not as low. So anyway. Yeah. When you can feel the vibration of the engine and watch the pilot, like <laughs> doing their visual checks, you know, and like, and it, yeah, 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 a completely exactly. different experience yeah, of aviation. Totally. Yeah. And like the buildings are right there. Um, and you're like, please don't crash us into the buildings, but you know, please. Yeah. So you want to be a pilot too, it sounds like. It sounds like you you also look skyward and just sort of. I'm afraid of, I'm historically afraid of flying. I grew up afraid of heights and afraid of flying. But when I moved to LA, that is like untenable. You cannot live in Los Angeles and be afraid of heights. Because like driving down the street, sometimes a street becomes like a straight up in the air street. And you didn't even know that. And so if you want to live in LA and you're afraid of heights, like cute congratulations but you're gonna suffer so i would go on hikes when i moved here 12 years ago every single day and go like higher 
okay. for a couple of years, go higher, higher, higher. And then sort of like did exposure therapy for myself with heights and going in those small planes was a version of that. I like have done some mountainy stuff. That's a version of that. But like what you're talking about, that would be so hard for me. I but I'm interested. See, yeah. that's the thing is like, yeah, I'm enjoying being a fear facer. Is that, have you always been a fear facer or like a, a, a challenge conqueror? Mm. Oh. Yeah, probably. But there were some challenges that I like left on the shelf. Heights was one of them that I left on the shelf for a long time. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? Have you moved toward fear in your life? Somewhat. I mean, I spent I spent a lot of my life like kind of in denial. And so I feel like I was kind of um, sort of running away from fear or running towards safety. Um, mm. But but I've also um, that's in sort of my relationship with myself and who I am. Um, but also, yeah, I've I've enjoyed um, conquering fears. Except for my fear of failure. That one's a difficult one. Well, come on. <laughs> but, come on now. But That was impossible. That's very I crazy. choose to leave that one on the table. <laughs> um, Are we allowed to do that? We're allowed to just leave the fear of failure on the table. And- sure, yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know. <laughs> I'm just a mortal man. I'm not going to get to all of them. <laughs> yeah. When you say that you had this like fear of yourself or the denial, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. So I'm, well, I'm a trans woman or I was assigned uh, male at birth. And um, so, yeah, I just, I sort of figured out like really early on um, that A, I was not a boy and B, that was not okay to not be a boy. Um, so I just sort of did my best at playing the role for um, a long time, uh, like about 20, 20-ish years. And um, yeah, and that was its own whole sort of bizarre adventure. Um, it, I mean, it was actually, it was kind of starting to paraglide that... Um, acted as a catalyst for me finally coming out of the closet. Um, Cause I, I guess I felt like I'd finally found something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life that like oh, really, amazing. really mattered to me. Oh, and also, um, yeah, there was just this sort of other baggage, like it's, um, it's potentially kind of risky and I didn't want to, didn't, it didn't make sense for me to try flying while also not living as myself. Like I had to mm. tell people who I was, otherwise it wouldn't be worth it. Um, wow. Like the risk wouldn't be worth it, if that makes sense. That's um, amazing. So yeah, it was sort of the last thing. Like I started flying. I was really unhappy uh, in my life and just like nothing was okay. I started flying and that like was like, ooh, for like eight or 10 months. I was like, oh, 
I'm better now. And then it was like, no, you're not better. You have to, you have to come Mm. out of the closet. You have to figure this out. Um, Mm. so, so yeah, I've, yeah, I, I, my career in flying or my experience learning to be a pilot is like fairly closely linked to, um, you know, coming out and getting on hormones and learning to like live as who I actually am. I'm super happy for you. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. I mean, I often, I'm in a bit of like a transitional moment right right now myself because I'm just not sure. I was so obsessed with stand-up for such a long time and I, um, I'm like wondering if I, I've like lost the need to do it. It's very odd. And, um, which it's like an, it's like, well, then what are you supposed to do? Um, but the reason I'm saying that is cause like part of maybe the reason I feel that way is that, yeah, like I love things that I, I love conquering things because it makes me feel a sense of freedom. I feel like you know, I think I spent a lot of time feeling like a freak or really outside of life. And to, and I think one asset that that gave me was like, um, I, I can push really hard because of feeling like an outsider. And so, um, yeah, I'm experimenting with like, I mean, it goes back to what we're talking about, about like the fear of failure. Cause I am, like to choose to not do something because it has served its purpose is not failure. And that is something that I am wondering about. I'm just like actively in the process of wondering about it very like while continuing to do stand up and while um, experimenting with different ways that it could look. So, you know, it is like, I get gender, sexuality, all those things having a huge relationship with like the way we are in the world, the way we, you know, choose to spend our time. At least that's been my experience. So what you're saying makes like, makes complete sense to me. Um, and I'm really glad you found something that's making you feel so much freedom. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Thank you. I guess, I don't know. One thing what you just said makes me think is that it's like, it's not, or it's like rarely a binary as in like you might not feel the need to do stand up in the way you once did, but it's not just one thing about doing stand up that, that serves you. And, and yeah. I feel like I've had this kind of crazy year in my flying career and um, including like a nervous breakdown cause I was putting too much pressure on myself and um and what I'm like wrapping my head around right now is that it's it's really not a binary. Like flying gives me all these things and also I can overdo it. And it also is not like serving the purpose for me that it once was. So like reintroducing balance, which is not a strong suit of mine, but it's like, <laughs> uh, but is a fun Yeah, I, I don't know her, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good. <laughs> well, it's been really awesome. Oh, talking to you, Galen. And I'm serious. Take take me flying this summer. I would love to. That would be so fun. Okay.
It'd be so fun. Before I send you back into your day, because I am going to keep us to like our, our, um, our out that we were going to do, um, I have one more question, which is a queero for you to shout out a queero. It's a person, place, or thing that made you feel you could be who you are today. Do you have any, anybody, anything, any place you'd like to shout out? Um, that's, that's great. I mean, you know, there's too many, I guess. I, I have to pick one, huh? Um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to pick you, but I really looked up to you and, and still do a long time ago, at, or like when I first came across your work. Maybe Kim Petras. Could I say? Oh, sweet. Could I say Cameron yeah. Esposito and Kim Petras? I mean, if you want to put me and Kim side by side, would that? I'm fine with it. Would that be yeah. okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it because that's great. She's great. So that's great. Yeah. Great. Wow. Amazing. Well, do, is it? Do you like my stand up or do you like my like amazing dance music? Which Which one is your? <laughs> I really related to your stand-up before, oh. um, before I knew that I was a queer woman. I was like, oh, my God. That's awesome. She's so funny. She's so great. How, wow. This means something to me, but why? How does it mean something? Yeah. It's very... That's so beautiful. I love to hear that. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, I've, I, sometimes I have people tell me, like, specifically that thing, what you just said, it shows. Um, you know, afterwards in a meet and greet. And like, that is rad. I don't, to me, that makes me feel like I have done something right. If it feels, um, you know, accessible enough to the people that I would want it to feel accessible to. Like, that's great. That's like, oh, great. Then perhaps I was doing something right. Cause. You are doing God's so. work. Um. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks Galen. And, and, uh, good luck in Mexico. The competition hasn't happened yet. No, it's, it's next week, all week. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be thinking. Cool. Thank you so much, Cameron. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Maximum fun. A worker owned network of artists owned shows. Supported directly by...